With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Rams Up. This is an L.A. Rams podcast. We'll touch on other SoCal sports news of merit, but it's mostly about the Rams here. Thank you for joining us. You can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com and visit our website at laramsup.com. And please don't forget, subscribe and give us that five-star rating. We really appreciate it. Let's get to it. Greetings, Ram fans. This is Rams Up, your L.A. Rams podcast. Welcome to episode 17. What's on tap today? We'll run through our NFL news, Rams news, and SoCal sports news. We also have our greatest Ram play number three as our countdown continues. But most of this episode is dedicated to one of my favorite athletes, Stephen Jackson, SJ39, one of the most underrated players in recent NFL history. I have a lot to get off my chest regarding SJ39, and that's what I'm going to do. Let's go around the NFL and knock off some news items. I want to start by apologizing to Julio Jones. It was brought to my attention that during last week's episode, I referred to the Atlanta Falcon wide receiver as Julius Jones. My bad. I have been told I struggle with pronunciation, especially with player names. I did it again. My apologies, Julio Jones. And my apologies to anyone named 
Julius Jones, who thought they were heading to Tennessee. I considered firing my quality control technician, but she lives here and does most of the cooking, so I'm probably going to retain her. And breaking news as of Sunday morning, Julio Jones has been traded to the Titans, so we'll still see him this year. Better to see him only once rather than twice playing for someone like the Seahawks. And poor Josh Reynolds. I wonder if he would have signed with the Titans knowing that Julio Jones would eventually come on board. I think Josh Reynolds is a solid receiver. Hopefully he'll get his chance to make his mark with the Titans. The Rams have signed Dayan Lake. Oh, geez, am I pronouncing that right? Dayan Lake? D-A-Y-A-N. Dayan Lake, a cornerback out of BYU. A 2020 undrafted free agent. Spent some time on the Patriots practice squad. He's out of Liberia. Came to the United States when he was five years old. So the Rams picked him up. So the Rams had some camp cornerback depth. Rumor is the Bears have apparently told Andy Dalton he'll be the starter week one against the Rams. It's interesting that they would announce that or that would be public knowledge. But I think we're all expecting that. Throwing a rookie Justin Fields at the Rams on opening day might be too much to ask. Next Gen Stats shared their 10 best coverage guys in the NFL. Darius Williams came in at number five. Pretty impressive. No mention of Jalen Ramsey. CBS Sports Top 100 Players. This is from Pete Prisco, and I love Pete Prisco. He provides a lot of stuff to chew on. I'm not sure if I'm going to write anything Pete Prisco says in a cement, but you know, he knows his stuff. I mean, his Top 100 Player Rankings, they're, they're a lot of fun. For the most part, I think he does a pretty good job. He had Aaron Donald at number two behind Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, not going to argue with that too much. Of course, I'd have AD number one, but what are we going to do? Jalen Ramsey was number 15, the second cornerback on the list. Andrew Whitworth came in at number 64. I think that's pretty generous, actually, but we'll take it. Matthew Stafford, number 88. And that name again, Darius Williams, number 99. So Darius is starting to get some notoriety around the NFL and with NFL media types. Did I have any problems with Pete's list? Yeah, Tom Brady, number four. I, yeah, he's a winner. He's going to get teams to championships if you surround him with the right people at this point. Is he the fourth best player in the NFL? I don't think so. He's living on his laurels. He's on a great team. Uh, I got a problem with that one. Justin Herbert at 38. Seriously? I I love the guy. As you heard last week, I think very highly of the Chargers. I think they're going to have a great season. I think Justin Herbert is a very good quarterback. 38th best player in the league already? No. DK Metcalf, number 39. This is an example of another wide receiver who has brought attention to himself, and it's kind of paying off. He's a good wide receiver. Don't get me wrong, but The 39th best player in the league? No, not buying that one either. He's ahead of Justin Jefferson, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin, for example. Dak Prescott at 50. I would hedge on that right now. Let's see how he is when he comes back from this injury. I wouldn't put him at 50 yet. I could see him being in the top 100, but he's got some proving to do coming back from the injury. I understand he was playing probably like the 50th best player in the league when he got hurt. 
I'm not sure if I'm ready to put him right back into that slot. Joe Burrow at number 91. He's played in nine games. Pro Football Focus, top 32 cornerbacks. Jalen Ramsey was number two. Darius Williams, there's that name again. Richard Sherman, number 11. Seriously? Richard Sherman, the 11th best cornerback in the league. He's not even employed right now. I got a big problem with that. The games I saw him play in, he looked like he was struggling. Another guy living on his laurels. And I love Richard Sherman. I really do. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a great team guy. And I would have no problem with him being on the Rams as a backup. Some other rankings of note. Shaquille Griffin, now with the Jags, number 25. Janoris Jenkins, ex-Ram with the Titans, number 27. So both those guys change teams. And other NFC West cornerbacks, Jason Verrett, number 22. I love Jason Verrett. I'd have him higher. I'd have him above Richard Sherman. That's for dang sure. And Malcolm Butler, the Cardinals cornerback, number 28. So in other words, there's four NFC West cornerbacks in that top 32. Ramsey at two. Williams at 20. Verrett at 22. And Butler at 28. Pro Football Focus also says the Niners receiving core is better than the Rams. But they also admitted that the Niners third wide receiver is kind of an iffy situation. While the Rams had three guys that are potentially better than anyone that could fill that number three slot for the 49ers. So it kind of uh, questioned that. However, keep in mind Pro Football Focus is also talking about the tight end position that's included in the receiving core. So the Greg Kittle factor comes into play here. Hey, Tyler Higby ain't chopped liver, but Greg Kittle's pretty darn good. And speaking of Ram wide receivers, Jacob Harris and Van Jefferson, by all reports, are shining in camp. So Jacob Harris is a guy I'm really excited about. Looks like such a great athlete. I think he's going to be very successful in the NFL. And we've all probably seen the film. Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup obviously developing a connection Some really pretty passes and catches on film there for the Rams at OTAs. The Rams will have an open practice on June 10th at 4 p.m. at SoFi. That should be interesting. Time's not great for me, but sounds like it'll be fun. Inviting fans to attend at the stadium. That sounds like a good time. The Rams' mandatory minicamp coming up June 15th and 16th. The Dodgers, up and down, don't know which direction they're going. Have a poor series against the Giants, and they come back and score 11 runs in an inning against the Cards, and another eight-run inning against the Braves. That offense starting to pop, maybe. Starting to look like the Dodgers of 2019 and 2020. We can only hope. Elsewhere around SoCal, UCLA women's softball team, their season is over. They beat Florida State in the opening round of the College World Series, but then lost back-to-back to Alabama and Oklahoma. So their season is done, sad to say. The Lakers, without Anthony Davis, were not up to the task, and the Suns extinguished them fairly easily, actually. And the Luka versus Leonard battle is over with the Clippers and Leonard prevailing over Luka and the Mavericks. 
the Clippers will move on to play Utah. That should be a great series. Utah will be favored, but the Clippers, they clearly have what it takes. Maybe they will bring home a championship instead of the Lakers. Next up, we're going to talk about SJ39. There are a couple of Rams that I believe belong in the Hall of Fame and hopefully will get there one day, Torrey Holt and Steven Jackson. Another day we will talk about Torrey Holt, but today I wanted to talk about Steven Jackson, SJ39, who I believe might be the most underrated player in the modern NFL. Before I get into that, I want to tell you why I love Steven Jackson as an athlete as a Ram. I've always preferred athletes that just go about their business, play the game the way it's supposed to be played, and don't draw attention to themselves, that just want the W, want what's best for the team at all times. Over the years, the athletes that I've favored are Stevie Y, Stevie Eiserman of the Detroit Red Wings, the captain's captain. This guy was all about team, one of my favorite hockey players of all time. Isaac Bruce, do you think Isaac cared if Torrey got four touchdowns and Isaac didn't get a single reception, but the Rams won? No, he didn't care. Played the game the way it's supposed to be played. Never drew attention to themselves. I've always wondered if if Isaac had hidden a Sharpie behind the goalpost so he could grab it after a touchdown and sign an autograph or something, would he have gotten into the Hall of Fame quicker? Probably so. Could you imagine Isaac Bruce doing that? Can't even imagine it. And Tory either. Neither of them. Tory was another guy. Played with joy. Loved the game. Just wanted the W. Jack Youngblood, Jackie Slater, Nolan Cromwell, some old school guys I liked. And of course, Steven Jackson. Has there ever been a player that played with that tenacity, that speed, that size and elusiveness and had the ability to play with violence. This is a guy that could run through gaps, do spin moves and never get touched, or he could smash, or if he so desired, he could run right over you, give you a nice stiff arm, knock a linebacker to the ground, pummel the defense all day long. He could beat you any way he wanted to. And there's very few runners that can say that. Very few running backs. Most of the big backs like him, 6'2", 240. Power backs. Very few of them could do what Steven Jackson could do. But Steven Jackson could do everything they could do. He was also a great receiver, of course. Don't forget that. So what I'd like to do here, quickly provide a a bio on Jackson pre-LA Rams. Then we'll get into some stats and comparisons with other NFL players. And hopefully by the end of this, you'll appreciate Stephen Jackson even more than you do now, if that's possible. Jackson came out of El Dorado High School in Las Vegas. He rushed for almost 6,400 yards and 81 touchdowns for the Sun Devils. Think about that. That's quite a feat for a high school football player. 
Went on to Oregon State, played three years there, rushed for 3,600 yards, had 680 yards receiving, 39 TDs on the ground, six in the air. Was drafted in 2004 with the 24th pick in the first round by the Rams as the heir apparent to Marshall Falk. And he made his NFL debut in the season opener against the Cardinals. Just got seven carries for 50 yards, but better days were to come. Unfortunately, that 2004 season would be Jackson's only taste of the playoffs with the Rams. The Rams earned a wild card spot, finished 8-8, eight and eight, knocked off Seattle in the wild card round, and then lost to Atlanta. So let's talk about Jackson's career, his accomplishments, his stats, and then after that, we'll do some comparisons. He still is currently 18th in NFL rushing yards, 11,438 yards, and that's with a team that lost a lot of games. SJ39 did not have a lot of help. He's tied for six with a bunch of other guys with most 1,000-yard rushing seasons. He's 23rd in the history of the NFL in yards from scrimmage, 15,121. He's 15th among running backs yards from scrimmage. So 18th in rushing yards among running backs, obviously, and 15th among running backs when it comes to yards from scrimmage. And he is also the only player in NFL history with a 40-plus yard run in 11 straight seasons. Another bit of analysis I did was I pulled all of the NFL rushing data from 2001 to 2020. Now, I don't have a sports pet peeve this week, but I have one that's kind of related to this, and that's how a lot of analysts and experts want to talk about the greatest running back of a decade from 1990 to the year 2000, from 2000 to 2010, and so on. It's kind of silly because it excludes guys like Steven Jackson, who started popping around the year 2006. So let's forget these arbitrary years, these arbitrary decades, these arbitrary 10-year periods, and let's look at any continuous number of years where guys performed at a high level. So that's what I did. I looked from 2001 to 2020, and I eyeballed which running backs did exactly that for extended periods of time, rushed for 800, 900, or 1,000 yards plus. Now, there's a lot of guys that rushed for 5,000 yards in a five-year period, for example. Let's talk about the seven guys I identified as the cream of the crop during this period. Now, keep in mind, there's a few guys that were winding down their careers in the years 2001, 2002, so They get eliminated from this analysis, and as well as guys that are just getting their careers going, the Zeke Elliott's of the world, Derrick Henry's. Let's see how long they perform at a high level. Remains to be seen. But I got seven guys here, so let's talk about them. One of them is Matt Forte, a guy I did not expect to see on this list. Over a nine-year period, he exceeded 1,000 yards five times, and the other four years, he was over 800 twice and over 900 twice. Pretty consistent. 
Marshawn Lynch. Over an eight-year period, he had 1,000 yards six times. But the other two years, he was under 800. LaShawn McCoy. Eight-year period, over 1,000 yards six times. And the other two times, he was over 800 yards. Steven Jackson, eight years, all eight years, over 1,000 yards. LaDainian Tomlinson, 10 years, over that 10-year period, exceeded 1,000 yards eight times, 900 yards once. The other time, he was under 800. Frank Gore, got to give the guy credit. 12-year period, exceeded 1,000 yards nine times. And two times he was over 900 yards, and the other time he was over 800. So all 12 years, 800 yards plus, nine of them over 1,000. The last guy I'll talk about here, clearly the best running back of this century, Adrian Peterson. If you look at his stats the same way we looked at these other guys, it's a little more difficult to quantify. His first seven years, he had a 2,000-yard season, five 1,000-yard seasons. Then he got suspended. Came back in 2015, had another 1,000-yard season. 2016, he got injured. And then over the three seasons after that, he had two 1,000-yard seasons and an 800-yard season. But So his stats have been tainted a little bit by the suspension and the injury. But let's just say it, Adrian Peterson is the best running back of this century. So what I'm arguing here is after Peterson... The top three running backs of this century are Gore, Tomlinson, and SJ39. I was watching some tape on a Monday night game. John Gruden was announcing uh, this was a 2011 Monday night football game at Seattle. You can find it on YouTube. And Gruden pretty much argued that everything that I'm trying to say here, he was basically the Rams' offense during that period. Gruden referred to him as a future Hall of Famer. Hopefully that'll happen. And in that game, basically carrying that Rams offense on his back. Jackson was a great running back on a very poor team. And that's what's most exceptional about his performance. Now think about this. If Steven Jackson had been drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Dallas Cowboys, what do you think his legacy would be? Would Steven Jackson be a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame if that was the case? It really shouldn't matter what team drafted him and how his team performed, how many playoff appearances they make. Hall of Fame voters have to be smarter than that. They have to look at a guy and say, hey, you know what? He's probably the second or third best running back of this century And I don't care that he played on a poor team. I don't care that his team lost 10, 11, 12, 13 games a year. And in fact, we have to give him even more credit for his accomplishments, given his situation. There's a YouTube video out there I encourage you to go look at. Steven Jackson's most dominant runs. Pretty easy to find. And then think about the other running backs with a similar profile to him the John Riggins of the world, the Larry Zonkas. Can they run like that? Can they perform like that? Steven Jackson is like John Riggins with Marshall Falk moves. Steven Jackson was a power back like John Riggins. He could also run like Thurman Thomas. 
the last word on this. Pro Football Reference, very good website, tons of information. I rely on it a lot. Good stuff, easy to find. It's where I get a lot of my stats. They have a page that's called their Running Back Hall of Fame Monitor page. It proposes to provide insight into who belongs in the Hall of Fame, who might have a shot, kind of ranks them based on a series of stats. One of the things they take into account is championships. And I call hogwash. Why not reward players who did not play on championship teams but still managed to run for 1,200 yards? They also have no metrics for receiving yards. I really think they're missing the mark on this. Call out a couple of things I also have a problem with. Terrell Davis is in the Hall of Fame. His 7,600 yards rushing and two championships. And for just one example, Pro Football Reference has Chuck Foreman ahead of Steven Jackson. Chuck Foreman in his 5,950 yards. Really strange. I could go on and on about some of the misfires here on Pro Football Reference, but I think it's a more general misfire by the NFL community, the Hall of Fame voters. They got to get this right. Reward players for their performance on the field for good teams and bad teams. And look beyond this oversimplistic view of, hey, were they on a Super Bowl team? Did they play in some championship games? Were they on teams that won every year? We might be rewarding the wrong guys if we do that. Very rare beast, SJ39. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. Let's get back to our greatest plays countdown. My favorite 10 Ram plays. From Los Angeles to St. Louis and back to Los Angeles. We've counted down 10 through 4, along with 5 honorable mentions. You can check those out on our website, ramsup.com. Today, it's my favorite play, number 3. January 30th. The year 2000, in Atlanta, Georgia, the Super Bowl. The Rams finished their magical season with Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holton gang, NFC best 13-3. The Titans were an AFC wildcard team that year, 13-3 behind the Jaguars, 14-2, second place in that division. It was expected to be, I think everybody that knew these two teams thought it was going to be a slugfest one way or another. And first half kind of bore that out. The Rams moved the ball up and down the field. Warner threw for nearly 300 yards in the first half, but the Rams scored only nine points, and they're up 9 nothing at halftime. Titans' first drive of the second half, drive all the way to the Rams' 29, but Todd Light blocks a field goal, so it remains 9 to nothing. The Rams, their first possession of the second half after the blocked field goal, Warner completes passes to Falk, to Bruce, to Ernie Conwell, and eventually caps it off with a nine-yard touchdown pass to Torrey Holt. Rams are up 16 to nothing in the third quarter. Things are looking pretty rosy. 
But the Titans take the kickoff, drive all the way down the field. Eddie George scores on a one-yard touchdown. And the Titans go for two and fail, so the score stays 16-6. to Interesting decision by our friend Jeff Fisher. He was hoping to make it a one-score game. I guess I can't really criticize him for that. I probably would have wanted my team to do the same thing. But it leaves him down by 10. They force a punt. 79-yard drive for the Titans, and George scores again to make it 16-13. to And then they tie it up, 16-16, to with 2-12 left in the game. That extra point's coming back to haunt them here. That 16-point deficit that the Titans overcame was the largest deficit to be erased in a Super Bowl up to that time. And the first time a deficit of greater than 10 points was overcome, that would be surpassed years later in that infamous Patriots-Falcons game. So the Rams get the ball back. The game's tied. 27-yard line, first down. Rams call an all-go. All the receivers downfield, basically. Warner chucks it just as he's about to get hit. Bruce adjusts to the ball, catches it at the 38-yard line, dodges a couple of tacklers, and races for a 73-yard touchdown to make it 23-16. to That's my favorite play, number three. And not just because of the 73-yard completion to put the Rams up, but as you probably know by now, I'm a big fan of Isaac Bruce, one of my favorite players all time. Classy guy. Who better to catch that pass after all those years of misery playing for the Rams? It was certainly extra sweet to see him make that play. That's my favorite play, number three. A couple of interesting facts about that completion. This first fact I learned from a Wikipedia page on this game, so don't give me too much credit here. Let's revisit this here for a second. This is an NFL championship game, the Super Bowl. The Rams have the ball in the fourth quarter at their own 27-yard line in a tie game. The quarterback drops back, completes a 73-yard pass to break the tie and win the Super Bowl. In 1951, the NFL championship game, the Rams are tied 17-17. to They have the ball on their own 27-yard line in the fourth quarter. And Norm Van Brocklin completes a 73-yard pass to Tom Fears, breaks the 17-17 tie, and the Rams are the NFL champions. Two games, almost exact same scenarios, same yard line, tie score, fourth quarter, completion, 73 yards, game-winning touchdown. Here's an interesting fact one of my pals discovered. In Super Bowl 53, the Rams are down 10-3. Jared Goff throws an interception near the end zone, which would have tied the game had he been able to complete it. That play was from the Patriots' 27-yard line in the fourth quarter in the championship game. The lesson here? The next time the Rams are in the Super Bowl, let's hope they find themselves at their own 27-yard line and not their opponents. Sure thing they're going to win. Next week, we'll move on to play number two, and then the following week, my favorite play all time, which is probably going to surprise you. But come back and listen, and I will try to explain why. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach out to us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. 
visit our website at ramsup.com. And please subscribe and give us that five-star rating. We really appreciate it. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there.